We'll continue our time of worship with scripture reading. Today our scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Matthew, chapter 5, can be found in some of your pew Bibles on page 683. Again, Matthew, chapter 5, can be found in your pew Bibles on page 683. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. May God bless the reading of his word. I'd like to invite Pastor David. Morning, everyone. Good to see you all here this morning. Thank you for joining us. I especially want to welcome our speaker this morning. Uh, as you heard Emily say in her prayer, uh, Pastor Tim and Evie have arrived. They came into Boston, I believe, uh, late Friday night. And uh, I give Pastor Tim credit. This is his first day uh, working, but he wanted to hit the ground running and wanted to preach this morning. So we're very uh, happy to have him do so. His wife, uh, Evie is over there, and I hope you have a chance to meet her as well. Um, so uh, I don't want to take up too much of Tim's time, but let's give a welcome to a warm welcome to Pastor Tim. It is a great blessing <clears throat> to be here. And I'm sure it's in answer to your prayers and in answer to our prayers as well. As I begin today, let me ask you to pray for me. I've had a very bad last several hours. I've had a little bit of food poisoning. And um, so I'm not my best, but I'm here. And that's an answer to prayer. And I'm really excited to be able to share the message with you today. Before I get into the message, I do want to give a special thank you to all those who've been bringing the Word of God over the summer. I've had the privilege of listening online to the sermons and want to thank Pastor David so much for his expositions from the Sermon on the Mount, as well as Pastor Stephen and also Dr. Arthur's. It's been a great joy to hear the Word of God preached so clearly and so effectively. And so it's been a great blessing already. And so I'm just coming in sort of in the middle, picking up where you can say we left off. But even though... The speakers have been choosing passages from different places. What I wanted to do today in this message is sort of focus us on what's it all about. Now, if you've got your sermon outline and can read it because it's very, very small. I couldn't read it, actually. Not very well. So take out your sermon outline and you'll see that I begin with a question. And it's a question where I'd like you to fill in the blank. What one word would you use to describe the age in which we live? What one word? Now take a moment and think about that. (coughs) Write it in the title. Christian spirituality in an age of blank. Anybody want to share? What was your word? Acknowledging. Acknowledging? Okay. Interesting. Someone else? 
Christian spirituality in an age of, what is this age that we live in? How would you describe it? Memes. Memes. Oh, that, that's, a, that's a good one. <coughs> Chris Christie on the beach in New Jersey. Okay. Um, someone else. Christian spirituality in an age of, is that really the one word that describes our world right now? Memes? Or could there be a different word? Someone else. Cynicism. Now we're getting a little bit closer to what I've been thinking about. Christian spirituality in an age of cynicism. How else would you describe our world? Let's have two more people. What? Yeah. In an age of selfies. On the plane from San Francisco to here, I had a terrible thing happen. This, my selfie camera broke on my Samsung um, S8 Plus, and I was bereft, because what am I going to do? This is the age of selfies, and I need my phone fixed, but the warranty's in Taiwan, so we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but I do think that word describes our age. Someone else. Anybody else want to just nail it? Something where you can give the word, and everybody will say, yes, that's it. Somebody want to take a, a chance? Oh, we got two. What? Self-obsession. Sort of similar to selfies. Okay. Any of these work. The one that I use to describe our world today is Christian spirituality in an age of confusion. The world is confused today and Christians are confused today. And you see this confusion in so many areas, I won't even go into all the obvious ones. I've been out of the U.S. for most of the last of 25 years. Coming back is a little bit of a culture shock, especially in the grocery store when I see all the new kinds of organic Pop-Tarts that popped up while I was, while I was out. <clears throat> but a lot has changed. People have changed. Ideas have changed. Morals have changed. Marriage has changed. Relationships have changed. Politics have changed. And people are confused. I was working out in a gym in California a few days ago, and I saw this one picture, and I had to take it, and I'd like to share it with you right now to show you how confused people are in our world today. Can we see the one slide? <clears throat> Do you see this? It's a lady with purple hair saying, what does purple mean to you? Well, People are confused about what purple is. What does purple mean to me? Purple means purple. Why are we even asking the question? So when people today are asking the question of what does purple mean, then I say we are in a confused situation. <clears throat> but it's not just people in the world that are confused about everything from colors to relationships. The problem today is that even in the church, even amongst those who claim to be Christian, we are confused about Christian spirituality. So what I want to do in the sermon today is give you an outline to think about not only how this sermon should apply to you, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, but also how you should think about applying it outside to people who are not yet Christians yet. This sermon has had a very interesting history in the church's history because uh, people misunderstood what the meaning is. I know people have used it to be everything from a manifesto on why we shouldn't have a military to um, 
to saying why it is that Jesus wants us to be doormats and be slapped twice rather than once. And so there's been a lot of misunderstanding of well, what's this all about? And I say that this entire sermon is about Christian spirituality. It's going to help us understand what it is. It's going to help us understand how it works itself out in our life. And then it's going to help us understand this sermon will how to dialogue with people who are confused today. People believe a lot of really strange things about religion. Um, I had the privilege of teaching world religions in Indonesia for five semesters over the last uh, three years. It's a very interesting situation because in our university, which was a Christian university in Indonesia, which is Muslim, <coughs> we had 13,500 students. And every single one of those students had to take my class if they were A, in the English track rather than the Indonesian language track, and B, if they were non-Christian. So at the beginning of the semester, at the beginning of their time of starting um, <coughs> their, their period of time of study in Indonesia, I had the privilege of being able to cover 11 of the world's main religions with all non-Christians. Now, the goal was not that I would convert them. The goal was of uh, the class... That, would, that I would help them understand what each one of these religions was distinctively teaching so that then we could learn how to have good religious dialogues and then try and forge a way of peaceful cooperation in spite of our religious differences. It was one of the funnest things I've ever done in my entire life, and I would love to, to do it again, but one of the things that struck me at the beginning of each semester was that I saw that people believed, and this, my students believed something that was wrong. You can see it on my outline, point 2A. People believe that all religions are saying the same thing. People would come into the class, and they would just think that Christianity was the same as Taoism, was the same as Buddhism, <clears throat> was the same as Islam, was the same as Judaism. No, it wasn't. And yet most people began my class thinking that. If they ended the class thinking that, then they, of course, failed the class. But <clears throat> if they began uh, the class that way, I would cut them some slack. So people are confused. People of other religions are confused. Christians are confused. Christians today are waffling on the idea of what is the distinctive of Christian spirituality and what is the distinctive of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I did is I trained all my students. They, they read the Quran, they read the Bhagavad Gita, they read the Tripitaka, they read the Bible. And I trained my Muslim and my Buddhist students mostly to go and do interviews with Christian pastors and Catholic priests in, in Indonesia. And you know what they discovered? That 87% of the pastors and 87% of the Catholic priests all together in one lump of clergy would not give a clear statement that salvation is only by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And when pressed by my students, do you think, my Muslim students would, would look at the pastor and say, do you think that I'm going to hell because I'm a Muslim? 87% of the pastors would waffle and say, well, you know, you're a, you're a good person and you're a good, good, good Muslim. Brothers and sisters, this is messed up. This is not helping us grow in our own Christian spirituality. And this is not helping us be a light to the nations if we're not clear on what the message of Christian spirituality really is. 
it is simply not true that all roads to God are equally valid. <clears throat> Don't misunderstand me. You can have different you can have different moralities that show up in different religions that, <clears throat> in a sense, are very good, that do a lot of good in the world. Many of you might have even come from a Confucian household in some ways, where you were taught to respect your teachers, to respect authority, and that was um, something that you grew up with, which you thought was a good value. I'm not saying that there's not good moral principles, even Taoism. Taoism teaches you how to drive in Taipei traffic. You get on the scooter, and it's like, in the Tao Te Ching, it describes things like this. The water's going like this. The water hits a rock. What does the water do? The water goes around a rock. Well, that's what people do in, in type A traffic. The traffic goes like this. Uh, the traffic hits somebody. Stop. The traffic goes around. But people don't like stop and wait. So for, even from Taoism, you can learn something very important to help you survive in uh, type A traffic. I'm not saying that there's nothing of value from a moral level in other religions. What I'm saying is, is when it comes to the idea of how do we repair our relationship with a holy God. We cannot say that all roads to God are equally valid. It's just not true. That's not what Jesus is teaching. In fact, he's teaching something absolutely opposite in this sermon. So, my point is, even Christians are confused about Christian spirituality and the message of the Sermon on the Mount. So many Christians um, don't understand this. And so they think, that, uh, they think that Christianity is the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know what Christianity is, go to the Sermon on the Mount, read it. But actually, that isn't true. Christianity is more than the Sermon on the Mount. But it certainly includes the spirituality of the Sermon on the Mount. For example, there's not a lot in the Sermon on the Mount that teaches us about how we ought to be worshiping, should we raise our hands, should we not, what instruments we should use. Um, there's many things about church life, ministry, liturgy, you won't find in the sermon. Because Christianity is a broader, a broader topic. But when it comes to the essence of what's most important, the sermon focuses us on matters of the heart, on matters that are first principles, on the things without which you don't even have Christianity at all. And I think there's a great danger, and I've seen it from living in Asia for 25 years, there's a great danger for people to reduce Christianity as something you do on Sundays, where you go to church, you pay money, you say a prayer, you do this or that or the other, you evangelize, you take a class, you go attend a seminar, you get a seminary degree, and that's Christianity, what you do. No, this sermon is telling us something absolutely radically different. That what Christianity is, is not something that we do. It's something that God himself has done for us. And we see that in the Beatitudes. Look at verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. What word begins each one of those verses? Blessed. Blessed. What does that mean? We talk about, I received a blessing today. Well, if you received it, then did you get it from yourself? No. Did you do something to earn it? No. 
Where did it come from? It came from someone else because they simply wanted to bless you. This passage begins, this sermon begins, Christianity begins in an understanding of spirituality by realizing that we are Christians because of the blessing of Almighty God and not by anything that we have done on our own. Christianity is more than just the teaching of the sermon And practicing these verses will not make you a Christian. See, that's one of the biggest confusions in the church. People think, well, if I try and be meek, I'm not meek by nature. In fact, I'm very defensive. Um, Somebody tells me something and I go, I know, you know. And so I'm not really meek by nature. Um, I don't like it when people cast insults at me. Look at verse 11. I don't count that as a blessing. Um, I count... As a blessing, when someone comes over to my home and fixes my computer for free, stuff like that, that, that's a blessing. Not when somebody says all kinds of evil against me falsely. So the sermon shows us that the blessing of God comes in very interesting and difficult ways. But all these characteristics that we have from verse verses 3 all the way through verse 11, they are not characteristics that if you try hard enough, will make yourself a Christian. If you try to be... Not proud. If you try to be poor in spirit, you can make yourself a Christian. If you try to be meek, if you try to be merciful, if you try to hunger and thirst after righteousness. No, this sermon is not about us trying hard to be Christian. Instead, it's the opposite. This sermon shows us the characteristics of those who receive the blessing of God and who are Christian. I'm not saying your works are not important. I'm saying that in this passage, the characteristics, the works that are lived out, the Christian discipleship and Christian spirituality that others see and others can say that's distinctively Christian, that is something that did not originate with ourselves. It originated with the blessing of God that we see in all these different verses right there. So practicing these verses shows that you're a Christian. And practicing these verses uh, is impossible unless you are a Christian. Because there's no way you can do it. It's absolutely impossible. Let's move on. I'm now under uh, point C, number two. I've already mentioned that we've been blessed by God. So let's look at the first blessing. What is Christian spirituality as we begin the Sermon on the Mount? Christian spirituality begins with being poor in spirit and humble in your heart. Brothers and sisters, can you think of any one characteristic in our world today that is completely different from what you see on Facebook, on Fox News, on CNN? It's the virtue of humility. The virtue of being poor in spirit, not haughty in heart. See, that's what, sets us, that's what sets us out as Christians. I did something very stupid, and I'm going to stop doing it. In fact, I pretty much stopped doing it, pretty much. Um, for several months of my life, I engaged in Facebook dialogue about politics. Um, <clears throat> and I did so in an age, age of confusion. Um, and I did so also in an age of pride, where people are... Very haughty. But I didn't do it the way most people do. I would listen to people. I would say, yes, that's a valid point. 
I need to think about that. And then I would try and show people, this is how we can all play in the sandbox together nicely. And you know what I found out? A lot of people don't want to play in the sandbox nicely. Uh, a lot of people want to be rude, arrogant, curt. They want to slam people. And I have been called everything from an atheistic liberal to things I won't say in, in, in the Church of Christ today. Why? Because I tried to get people to have civil discourse about political subjects. And one of the things that happened was, is I just, I, I came to the conclusion that I was just going to stop it. And I had a friend of mine challenge me and say, Pastor Tim, you're wasting your time. So I thought, yeah, you're right, you're right. I'm just uh, wasting my time. So what should I do? So I stopped it. And I told my Facebook friends I was going to stop commenting on, on things like that. And I had a very interesting, I started getting very interesting private messages. I had a woman who is a very staunch pro-abortionist who I went to high school with um, write me a message and say, I really appreciate what I see you've trying, what you're trying to do in these discussions. She said, you're modeling an attitude that we don't see. I had another person, a, a design student in the London School of Design. I used to teach this student at North Jakarta International School. And she texted me and thanked me so much. I had another woman. She used to run um, a, mental, a mental health program for the eight craziest people. Uh, I shouldn't say crazy. I should say the eight most mentally ill people in the state of Pennsylvania. And she messaged me and she said to me, she said, Tim, don't stop. We need to see it. And in all three of those instances, the one thing that they were pointing out was the fact that in an imperfect way, I had tried to be poor in spirit. I had tried to say, I don't have all the answers. I had tried to say, I need to listen to others. I had tried to say that I'm not perfect. I admitted my weaknesses. I admitted that I was a sinful person. I admitted that I needed Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And all these things go into what it means to be poor in spirit. There are two places in the Bible where this passage occurs. Here in Matthew 5 and once in Luke 6. In Matthew 5, verse 3, Jesus adds in spirit, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Luke chapter 6, he simply says, Blessed are you poor. When he's preaching to his disciples. And this is very interesting. Does that mean that every single one of the people who came to listen to him were poor? No, he was calling them poor. He was, in Luke chapter 6, focusing in on a characteristic of the heart, which is exactly the same as what he was focusing on when the words in spirit are added here. And Jesus was letting us know that if we want to enter the kingdom of God, if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, (coughs) it happens by receiving the blessing of God and it shows itself by being poor in spirit. I lived amongst the poor. For five years, Evie and I lived in Indonesia, shanty towns right next to these palatial Chinese mansions because the Chinese businessmen basically run in Indonesia. It was an unreal experience. Um, you had opulence against poverty. Then I lived in mainland China and I lived in Shenzhen where they had thousands and thousands of immigrants that had come from other provinces. They didn't have anything to eat. They were walking around Begging because they were so poor. And I began to think about the poor. 
And you want to know what? There are characteristics of the poor. The poor, number one, realize that they are poor, that they have a need. Number two, the poor realize that they have to ask. I would walk from my apartment to our language center in Shenzhen, China. And as I would walk, I would pass all these poor on the streets and <coughs> I found them to be very aggressive. They would jump out. They would leap out. At times, they would even stick their hands in my pockets to try and get the money. So I would shake my head and say, no, guys, you got it, wrong. You got it all wrong. Okay? I know you're poor. Everybody knows you're poor. But there's a way to go about way to go about doing this. So what, what did I do? I held beggars class and I taught the beggars on the street how to act so that they'd get the most money. So I said, no, I did. So I said, play it cool because I, I wanted to help all these people too. My resources weren't enough. Every time I passed them, I would give money, but there was a lot more of them coming and going and everything. I needed other people to get in on the act as well. So what I did is I got them all together and I said, okay, sit on the edge and look at people and say, Help me. Okay? And so I taught him how to do this. And I, I came back seven days later and I asked him, I said, how'd it go? And they're like, dude, we are really pulling in the money. You know, so the point is, is that they had learned something about what was involved in being poor. Admitting it and asking. So I turn to you, brothers and sisters. I ask you to look in your life. I ask you to examine your heart. Do you realize you're poor? Do you realize that there's nothing about your morality, nothing about your works, nothing about the goodness that's in you because of common grace that can re recommend you to be forgiven in the sight of a holy God? And are you standing before that God, sitting on the corner of your life, looking up and saying, God, here I am. I have need. You see, that is what shows that you're a Christian. Not the people who say, I keep the Ten Commandments. People who say that aren't Christian. Nobody keeps the Ten Commandments perfectly. Thou shalt not covet. Who can walk down the street, ride a plane, look at a TV, and not covet? So my point in all this, brothers and sisters, is that what we see in this sermon is something absolutely distinctive. We see the effect of the blessing of God and the characteristics of what it looks like in our lives when we are touched by the God who blesses us as a result of his absolute amazing grace. But notice something interesting. I was talking about the poor. Do the poor have anything? No, not until they ask and get something. But this is very interesting because Jesus turns and he says to the poor here, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say theirs shall be the kingdom of heaven. He says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What on earth is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that for those who know God, for those who have been blessed by God, for those who have been touched by the Lord Jesus, our Savior and Lord, we have entered the kingdom of heaven now. So many trips to China over the last 25 years done more than 200 trips in and out of China. It's been a really interesting experience. A lot of taxi rides. And every time I get into the taxi, I have my questions I like to ask. And the taxi drivers have their questions that they like to ask. And the question that I usually get asked is, where are you from? But there's two ways to ask that question. You can say, where are you from, literally. Or you can say, you are which country person. That's what it translates. 
I won't say the Chinese because I know some, some of you don't speak Chinese, and so I want to keep it English focused. But, but the point I'm trying to make is, is that when you sit in a car in a taxi, all the drivers are curious if you're a white dude like me with blonde hair, bleached actually, and, um, and, and blue eyes. They want to know, where are you from? I haven't seen any weirdos like you in a long time in, in, in my taxi. And for those who said, where are you from? I would say, America. But for those who said, you are rich country person, and the 50% that asked the question in, in that particular way of saying it in Chinese, I never said I was from America. I always said, I'm from the heavenly kingdom. And they looked at me and they said, what? You're from the heavenly kingdom? Uh, I said, yes. What's your tin And then they're like, tin war, right? And, and so then... So then we get into this unbelievable conversation about the fact, well, where, 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 where? I don't see heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is Jesus's point. It's not a place. It's a realm. It is a true realm of existence that begins for each one of us the moment we enter in by faith to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I share the gospel so many times using that that line and it got people's attention and that's what Jesus is trying to tell us not that when we die we go to heaven that is a misunderstanding of Christian spirituality that's not what Jesus is teaching here I'm not saying we don't die and go to be in, in the presence of the Lord for that is better of course we do but I'm saying it's not all about that it's about right now embracing the blessings of our great an awesome God so that we enter into the kingdom of God by faith and even right now we begin to experience the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. Spirituality in this sermon as we'll see as we go on (coughs) shows itself by being related to God as your heavenly father. God is your father. And that is something that is absolutely distinctively different from all other religions. Many other religions have a pathway of what you need to do in order to reach nirvana or wherever else you're trying to reach in this life or in the next life. But Christianity is about a relationship to the God of the universe as a loving Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, who is your Savior and your Lord. A few weeks ago, David preached an excellent message on how Christ is the fulfillment of the law. (coughs) That's telling us that Christ, this sermon is about Christ. He is the Savior. This sermon is about Christ. He is the Lord who challenges us not just to hear the word, but to do it. This whole sermon leads us down the road that leads us to the Savior who loves us, whose authority speaks into the confusion of the world and says, you have heard it said like this, but I say to you, And that is Christian spirituality. Listening to the King of Kings. Honoring the one who died for us. Following the one whose power by the Holy Spirit is in our lives. Allows us to call him Lord and to walk with him as our Lord. What about you today? What pathway are you on? Are you even thinking about, do you even care? You know, Today, people are so distracted. I, I wonder, does anybody care about what the Bible says anymore? Um, I certainly don't pay as much attention to the Bible now as I did when I was growing up and when I was in seminary. And it's because there's so many electronic distractions. 
people distractions. Does it matter to you today what the road is? That all roads to God are not equally valid? Does it matter to you that you can't make yourself a Christian by practicing this sermon? Does it matter to you that your Savior Jesus fulfilled the law, took the curse of the law on his own person so that you might be forgiven in the sight of a holy and righteous God? Does that matter to you, brothers and sisters? It should, and it will. And that passion that you have to understand this message and to grow in it will grow as we continue to study it together. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for (coughs) the time to look at these great verses to realize we have nothing and to reach out to you and ask for everything. Lord, humble our hearts. Make us the people you want us to be who have received the blessing of God and help us to live in a constant realization that you are our Father that life is not some sick joke and that our days are not all about cynicism. Lord, help us to walk with Jesus in the kingdom of God. We pray in his name. Amen.